0: Thirty-five million households in America are uh, food insecure, which means that uh, the people who live in that household are not always sure that they will have enough food on their table. Sometimes wonder if they will have food to eat. Thirty-five million households in the United States of America. That's one in seven households. So ponder that for a minute. We can talk about hunger on the global scale, and we should. But today we're going to focus more on hunger right here in our own country. I'm generally considered to be the wealthiest country in the world. To put that number in perspective and in a sort of way that's appropriate for today, that number of people would fill 500 NFL stadiums. So kind of try to conjure in your mind what one NFL stadium looks like when it's full and multiply that by 500. That's the number of people who are. Food insecure, according to recent numbers. Since the Super Bowl of Caring began in 1990, with one church youth group that decided on this Sunday, of all the Sundays of the year, to really focus on raising awareness about hunger and to invite the congregation to do something by bringing in uh, non-perishable food, by donating money in a soup kettle. Since 1990, when that one church youth group had that inspired idea, more than 81 million dollars has been collected and um, participants are now from all 50 states. So that's a really kind of cool thing, isn't it, to see that kind of movement that started really with one small church youth group. Last year there were almost 12,000 different groups participating in the Super Bowl with Caring in all 50 states. Um, About three quarters of them were churches and then the other quarter sort of scout groups, school groups, um, local community organizations. Um, and last year, $5.2 million was collected, and 2,739,247 food items were collected on that one day. There's actually a website where you create a profile and log in, and, and then after today we will log in and indicate how much money we collected and how, much, uh, how many canned goods. And the greatest thing about this is that 100% of it stays right in the local communities where it's collected. So there is an organization, Super Bowl of Caring, But they don't scoop off any money off the top, nothing gets sent to them, except the numbers. Um, It's all in a grassroots movement, um, helping in local communities. So today, um, this food that we collect will be headed toward uh, Sacred Heart Food Pantry, our our partner over uh, on the corner of Sherman and Mellon Streets, where some of you volunteer and where some of you perhaps even uh, get food to eat. And the money that we collect will will go there and then the great thing about putting a dollar in here is that um, the organizers of, of the food pantry can buy way more for a dollar than you can. Because they're going to go shopping at Good Shepherd Food Bank in Gray where they buy so many pounds of food for a dollar. Um, so you really get a big bang for the buck. Last year, we collected $102 in the soup kettle. I think we can do better. What do you think? <laughs> this year, don't you think? Yeah. Yes. So that's a little challenge that I'm issuing. It's estimated that 100 million people will watch the Super Bowl live tonight. 100 million people. How much do you think it costs for a 30-second commercial spot? Uh, Any guesses? Uh, Over, three Over 3 million. Over 3 5 million. 3.5 million dollars for a 30-second commercial spot. It varies. I don't know why, but probably depending on where in the... Yes. Why, Jen, tell us. It's, it's because where it because happened?
1: when in the game it happened.
0: Jen works for an advertising agency. So I so between 3 and $4 million for a 30-second commercial spot, which doesn't count how much money it costs to create the commercial. So they actually estimate somewhere around $5 million per 30-second commercial spot that you see when you add in the cost of production. And I wonder how much food Americans will eat during that 3-hour, 4-hour time block. Someone in the first worship gathering this morning said it's the foodiest holiday, uh, second only to Thanksgiving. A lot of food. So today is a day of contrast, isn't it? The contrast between scarcity and excess, really. It's not even abundance, it's excess. The contrast between wealth and poverty. The contrast between hunger and gluttony. It's those contrasts that really um, stop me in my tracks. I don't know about you. Now, I know that there's this general feeling that when you go to church, you ought to leave feeling better than when you went. You know, there's so much, and I know that impulse, there's so much depressing in the world. Church ought to be the one place where I can go and feel better when I leave. I should go and I should feel encouraged and I should feel hopeful and I should feel like, like just re-energized and inspired and ready for the, for the week, right? And we all feel that to some extent, of course. We want that. But also, I think, for me, Worship is also about learning or or having the opportunity to see more clearly what is true. Worship is about bringing things into focus for us, right? Maybe you've heard this before. The message of Christ ought to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. The message of Christ ought to comfort the afflicted And afflict the comfortable. And I'm not crazy about the word affliction there, but in this room, I know that there are some who are afflicted. Some of you here are really struggling, really struggling, maybe even struggling with hunger. And what we want to do as a church is to to try to bring comfort to you as a community. I also know that some in this room, myself included, are way too comfortable And worship ought to make us a little more uncomfortable, knock us out of our comfort zones, challenge us, right? So it's always this kind of both and at the same time, it's this dance that we do, comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. Last night I was at a gathering um, where someone shared the words of Rabbi Heschel, who said that religion ought to be about wrestling with the truth. I like that. Religion ought to be about wrestling with the truth. And one truth is that people are hungry. And that's something that we ought to wrestle with. And our faith ought to sort of really uh, cause us to, to really confront that and to see more closely, see more clearly, to see in focus the truth that is around us. It's hard not to find in scripture words that remind us of our call, our responsibility, our duty, the expectation that as people of faith, we will care for people in need. I don't know how you read the Bible and miss that message, because it's everywhere. Case in point, a few words from Deuteronomy chapter 15. When you happen on someone who's in trouble or needs to, needs to help among your people with whom you live in this land that God, your God, is giving you, don't look the other way, pretending you don't see him. Don't keep a tight grip on your purse. No, look at him. Open your purse. Lend whatever and as much as she needs. Don't count the cost. Don't listen to that selfish voice in your head. Do you have a selfish voice in your head? We all do, right? It's kind of the human nature, I think. (laughs) Which one, David says? You have lots of voices in your head. (laughs) And many of them are selfish, aren't they? (laughs) Don't listen to that selfish voice in your head saying, it's almost the seventh year, the year of all debts are canceled. That's the year of Jubilee. Don't turn aside and leave your needy neighbor in the lurch, refusing to help her. She'll call God's attention to you and your blatant sin. Give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures. There are always going to be poor and needy people among you. So I command you, always be generous. Always, always be generous. Open your purse and your hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. Well, those are challenging words. (laughs) Talk about afflicting the comfortable. Talk about knocking us out of our comfort zone. Or how about these words from the prophet Isaiah? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. I just think that's ironic to talk about fasting on Super Bowl Sunday. Because there couldn't be any there couldn't be any less likely a day of fasting than this day. But this is the kind of fast day I'm after, God says. To break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Beautiful words. Or the story from Matthew 25, which I'm not going to read, but which I'll summarize really, really quickly. You've probably heard it before. Where Jesus says, you know what, when you feed someone who's hungry, it's sort of like you're feeding me. When you visit that person in prison, it's sort of like you're visiting me. When you give clothing to the person who's, who doesn't have clothing to wear, it's sort of like you're clothing me. And when you care for the sick person, that's, that's me that you're caring for. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how profound that is. What if we actually saw the face of Christ in the hurting person that we encountered this week? It might change the way we we reacted, the way we responded, don't you think? And then Jesus goes a little too far,
1: which he does all the time,
0: because then he says, and you know what else? When you didn't feed that hungry person, guess what? You didn't feed me. And when you didn't take care of that person that was really struggling there the other day, remember that? That was me. And it goes on from there. Those words ought to stop us in our tracks and make us think. And we don't get it right every time. Of course, we don't get it right every time. But they ought to challenge us. They ought to make us reflect a little more deeply. I've said it a thousand times, I know, but Jesus talked more about money and possessions than any other topic in Scripture recorded in the Gospels. Pick your favorite topic of Jesus. Prayer, love, whatever it is. Jesus said more about money and possessions than whatever that is. Because Jesus understood at this deep level that the way in which we handle our stuff, the stuff we have. Does anybody have stuff? (laughs) The way you handle your stuff says everything about your relationship with God, your faith in God. That's the barometer of our faith. Talk about comforting the afflict- uh, afflicting the comfortable, knocking us out of our comfort zone, causing us to self-reflect a little bit. You know, this sermon could be really short. It could just be, people are hungry, feed them. Right? I mean, that's really the bottom line. But I'm also interested in kind of what's underneath all that. It's kind of the back side of the story. Because it seems to me that hunger is not a problem. Hunger is a symptom. Do you know what I'm saying? Hunger is not a problem. Because if it were a problem, we could fix it just like that. We really could. Hunger is not a problem. It's a symptom. So what is it a symptom of? What is the problem? Someone, please tell us. Greed? There. Equality. Equality, Greed. Imbalance. Imbalance. We've been talking a lot about balance over the last Mm -hmm. several weeks here. Fear. Fear. Yes, it's fear, isn't it? Fear of scarcity. And that doesn't go away the more stuff you have either, does it? No. Hunger is not a problem, it's a symptom. Do you know there is more than enough food Produced, grown every year to feed every human being on this planet more than once. I mean, everybody would have more than enough food to eat. It's not a food problem. It's a will problem. It's a desire problem. It's an equality, a greed, an imbalance, a fear problem. That's what it is. And those are hard to get at, aren't they? And then, of course, when we think about poverty, we really have to think of it within the larger context. Excuse me. When we think about hunger, we have to think about it within the larger context of poverty, because it's all wrapped up together. I mean, do you really think that there's anyone that walks into a soup kitchen or a food pantry and says, you know, I have everything I need, except I don't have food? Huh. Do you really think that happens? No. Because hunger is related to so many other kinds of needs, and they're all wrapped up together. So what are some of the other interrelated kind of aspects of this? Shelter.
1: Medical care.
0: Medical care. I mean, can we talk about hunger without talking about health care? Can we do this? We cannot. Okay, so what else? Jobs. Jobs, employment, just that whole big issue. Education. Education. We were born. Where you're born, the luck of the draw. I mean, do you really think you're smarter than someone who's hungry? Listen, I know you. You're not. <laughs> so much of it is just the luck of the draw. I mean, we think we hit a home run, but we were born on third base. You know what I'm saying? It's all interrelated. In our... um, Life communities this week, we we spent some time with a little hunger quiz. So I'm gonna just share one of the questions from their hunger quiz. What percentage of those requesting emergency food assistance do you think are working? It's a multiple choice question. You remember those? A, 16%. No, sorry. A 6%, B, 13%, C 24%, D. 37%? Thirty-seven percent. What percentage of people requesting emergency food assistance do you think are working? Six percent, thirteen percent, twenty-four percent, or thirty-seven percent? Thirty-seven percent of people who are requesting emergency food assistance are working. Well, that dispels a myth, doesn't it? Do you know what the minimum wage in Maine is these days? Seven fifty. If you worked a forty-hour job at minimum wage, that's three hundred dollars a week. Now, I know some of you are thinking, $300 a week? I could do a lot with $300 a week, because you're not even making that. And some of you are thinking, how do you do anything with $300 a week? Just imagine, though, if you had to pay rent without a subsidy, and you had to buy food, and you had to clothe your children, and you had to pay for insurance, somehow you had to figure out health care. I mean, $300 a week. And then in Maine, of course, the issue of heat, right? Some of you might have seen the article in the New York Times this week. Um, it was a really neat article about a little town in Maine. I forget what town Dixfield. it was. Dixfield, Maine. Um, and it was telling the story of this elderly couple who lived in a little tiny home who were running the burners on their stove to heat their house. And how they went to the owner of the little local, locally owned, locally owned oil company to beg him to put some oil in there tank so they could heat their house and he said no because he'd already filled it twice this winter and they haven't paid anything towards it. But it was a great article because it was telling the story of this elderly couple and the story of the owner of this oil company and the struggles that he went through, losing sleep over the weekend, wondering if they were freezing cold, it was really interesting both sides of that story because the the fuel company owner says, you know what I want to do?" I would love to sell this business and be a greeter at Walmart, because this is so stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it was in the New York Times this weekend, Jen, Jen shared the second part of the story, which yeah, I had read. Yeah, there's
1: a follow-up in the Sun Journal, I think, today, saying <clears throat> the oil company received nearly $100,000 in donations from people all across the country who read the story mm-hmm. and
0: were moved by it. Which is a wonderful yeah. response, mm-hmm. except... It's one little town and one little state, one oil company. You know, I mean, just multiply that out. So, it just We have to look at hunger within the context of the larger um, issue of poverty and all the dimensions of it. How much do you think Americans spend every year on ice cream? 20 billion dollars. 20 billion dollars a year on ice cream. For $20 billion, this is true stuff, and I, I, I googled it, but I also found it on several reputable sites. I mean, the internet never lies, but I found it as an actual report. For $20 billion, every human being on this planet could have food and clean water for a year. So see, it's not a problem of food. It's a will, desire, fear, equality problem but the amount of money that we, in this one country, spend on ice cream. So I also found this neat blog where this family was wrestling with this, and they've created what they call ice cream credits. you know about carbon credits? Where when you fly, you pay a certain amount to, to take care of the environment for what you, what you polluted. So this family spent some time and added up, estimated all the money they spend on ice cream per year. They actually had it itemized right out. Coldstone Creamery, Dairy Queen, Klondike Bars, the whole bit. And they estimated that they spend in their family $75 a year on ice cream. Which made me think, they need to eat more ice cream. <laughs> but think about it. So what they did was, they every year they, they do this, and they make a donation of that amount of money to a particular hunger relief agency that they have chosen. This one happens to um, fight hunger in Africa. You could do whatever you wanted with it. And they, take their, they match dollar for dollar their ice cream consumption. They don't stop eating ice cream. <laughs> but they match dollar for dollar what they spend on ice cream with fighting hunger. Now that's pretty easy and fun, right? And it's also kind of eye-opening. And, of course, it could never work because you could never get every American to do that. But it's the kind of creative thinking and awareness raising that could really have an impact. So you might consider ice cream credits as one thing to do. So what else can we do? Well, we are blessed to be partners with the Sacred Heart Food Pantry. And uh, some of you, you volunteer there on Tuesday mornings. We need more volunteers. So if you have time on Tuesday mornings, it's a great way to serve. They're serving about 500 households a month to about 2,000 people in our neighborhood on average every month that are getting food. And that's only one of, I don't know, a dozen or more food pantries in Portland. Um, And so the food that we've collected, the money that you're going to put in this (coughs) kettle, right, when you come up for communion, is going to go to the Sacred Heart Food Pantry. Wow, we bounced ahead here a little bit. (laughs) Um, And... That's one thing we can do. Um, we serve community meals in this space. Every, every Tuesday, free every lunch, every Thursday, free dinner. Some of you have volunteered for those meals. This is a wonderful partnership with Wayside Food Programs. Some of you come here to receive meals. Some of you do both, and that's the best of all. Um, since April of 2010, when we started that partnership with Wayside, we have served 11,878 meals right in this room. How cool is that? To, uh, to over 1,000 different people. Almost 12,000 meals to over 1,000 different people. And almost 1,000 different volunteers giving 4,539 hours of their time. We know this because Laura over there keeps the most amazing statistics. <laughs> she could break that down for you in 27 different ways. Men, women, <laughs> age groups, you name, <laughs> you name it. But that's pretty amazing. And that's something that we can celebrate. And the best thing of all is the relationships that are formed. This is not a soup kitchen where you're a face and a number. This is about building relationships. How did Jesus build relationships? He ate with people, right? And the people who come here are part of a community where people know each other. Lives are being shared together. And I think we don't even have we don't even have a clue how profound that is, because hunger and isolation go together so. So closely, people who are isolated, and and have fear about that, and it's just—it's all interrelated. It's all interrelated. So Jen was sharing. Do you want to share that story again about, about going to Clark Memorial? Sure. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I spoke to the United Methodist Women's Group at Clark Memorial United Methodist Church here in Portland, over in my neighborhood, um, yesterday morning, um, about what we're doing here with the meals because a lot of the. Folks there had been involved with Wayside in the past, and um, oh, and then we had breakfast together. And over breakfast, I heard some of all these ladies talking about how scary Grant Street and Sherman Street are, and how it used to be really nice. You know, it used to be a safe neighborhood back in the day, and now it's just really scary. And so I tried to gently use this as a teaching moment and said, you know, what the difference that the meals have made for me is not about feeding people so much as seeing people not as those people or those scary people, but as you know, Bob and Frank and Jean and Becky and all and, and, and people and getting to know them as individuals and how it's I know I'm not the only person who has changed my view of Portland because I don't look at people as those scary people or those, you know, those poor people. It's just it's people. And it's people who I don't know yet and I have an opportunity now and it's really changed the way I think about Portland and There were a few, oh. (laughs) They totally got what I was trying to say in a nice way. Yeah, relationships. It's about relationships.
0: In the end, though, it really can't just be about collecting food and money and feeding people and feeling good about ourselves, though, can it? It just can't be. It also has to be about changing systems that keep people hungry. It's not okay. It's not okay that people can work a full-time job and still not have enough food to feed their families. That is just not okay in this country. So it has to also be about changing systems, and that's the harder work, and it doesn't feel as good. But it also needs to be the work that we're about um, as a church. So, take a deep breath. There are so many questions and so few answers. Let's say we join in this journey. And we strive to see things in greater, sharper focus. We wrestle with the truth. That's what it means to be people of faith. It's not about quick fixes, but it is about growing in our understanding and and trusting that God is in the midst of it. I mean, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Okay, For God, all things are possible, but we have to find the will as well. So here's what we're going to do we're going to distribute some food. And I want, what I want is for everyone to have an item of food that you're going to hold on to and pray for the person who will receive it. Okay, you won't ever know who that is. But what I want to do is foster a little tiny bit of a deeper connection between the food and the people. Some of you here are receiving that food. so But you might not receive this. Pray for the person who will receive it. Um, So I'm going to need some help. Uh, Four or five people come up and just start grabbing some food and just start passing it out. If you don't like the food you got, just pass it around. (laughs) Okay? Somebody, a few people come up and help until everybody has an item of food. Who needs something? This is fun. This <laughs> is fun. Maybe <laughs> okay, yeah. out So You're going to hold on to that food and pray for the person who will receive it. And then when you come up for communion, this is going to be really messy. And we're just going to go with it. You can put your food back up as an offering. You can put your money in the soup kettle. More than $102. Remember that? That's what we're shooting for.
1: And my prayer
0: is that you may come to see that religion at its best is about wrestling with the truth. Then you might take one step closer to following Christ and recognizing that part of that is having your heart broken by the things that break the heart of Jesus. May you claim the good news that we are not powerless. Okay? It's an overwhelming thing, but we are not powerless. We can do things to make a difference, and we can use our voices to say something has to change. And may you sing with gusto, with joy, with conviction, until it's finally true, for everyone born a place at the table, for everyone born clean water and bread. And God will delight, God will delight when we are creators of justice, joy, compassion, and peace. Amen.